Are you looking for a musical conversation with substance? Inclusive, with hosts just like you. Well, we have you covered. Welcome to the Music Challenge Podcast. Sit back and relax. I'm Andrew with Jake, Kevin, and Rob, and we're sharing our favorite top shelf albums. Come for the music and stay for the conversation. And welcome to the Music Challenge Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm here with Kevin, Rob, and Jed. And tonight we are looking at uh, one of the masters of music, Lee Scratch Perry. Uh, Lee Scratch Perry, who uh, is really um, invented so many things that you consider modern in music. Uh, We'll talk about that in a little bit more uh quite a bit later or a little bit later uh first uh, i'd like to uh introduce the cast uh kevin how are you doing my friend i'm doing well thank you andrew um yeah i'm uh you know i'm doing all right the kids are back at school and so um yeah um i just uh you know we're gonna celebrate the life at least scratch period and i just want to make mention of a couple other notable uh passings um you know, uh, really briefly in the world of comedy, um, Norm Macdonald oh. recently passed away. Um, one of the all-time greats. Um, yeah, so legend. Many, so many great sk- skits, right? Legend uh, of Weekend Update, for Christ's sake, Jesus Christ! Yeah, um, just a style like no other, and um, right. just truly one of the great comedians of all time. Um, Absolutely. And then the other, um, the other notable musical passing is uh, the guitar player Michael Chapman. Um, so, um, some of you might not know him, but I guarantee if you listen to him, you'll be blown away by his work. Um, Fully qualified survivor is the name of his album, and Fifty is another one that Steve Gunn produced. Um, some great songs on that as well. Um, right on. But yeah, so cool stuff. Um, but. Um, how yeah, you doing, I, Rob? I, I, oh, sorry. I, I should throw this in there. We're we're doing a career introspective of Lee Scratch Perry because he just recently passed away. We uh, I did not mention that in our first two minutes. Uh, so uh, that's that. Rob, how are you doing, man? Um, I'm pretty Jeez, good. That was rough. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty, no, it was all good, Drew. It was good. Um, with it. I, I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, looking forward to to fall. Not like I want summer to go, but I dig fall. Um, and had a show that I was going to in a couple of days, and just got canceled today um, for good reason. I was going to see Bungle at Radio Theater. It was a late night show, like pre post Riot Fest kind of deal. Um, but unfortunately, lead singer can't do it, and I understand. Um, so we'll catch them next time around. But anyways, um, that's what I'm up to. Right uh, on. Nice. Jed, what about you, buddy? Oh, man. I have uh, I got a bunch of stuff going on. I'm currently renovating my master bathroom like Ooh. with a, a friend of mine who knows much more about this stuff than I do. So I'm learning sure. a lot. And uh, I know things, but not like how to do them like he would do them. So got it. that's what's going on with my life pretty much like. Eight That'll consume every yeah. single day. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to a couple shows this weekend. Uh, wife and I are going to meet up with Kevin, hopefully, or we'll pass the tickets on to you guys to uh, Modu Mokhtar at Mercy. Lincoln Hall, which is amazing. He's going to be great. And then I'm taking my daughter to Indianapolis to see Umphreys McGee outside because she Ooh, was wow. pissed. Cause she couldn't go to a concert this summer. So I wow. decided to do a dad daughter cruise down to uh Indy with her. And as much Are as they I playing that white Lake park thing. Playing, that, yeah. Like they're like river park. I don't, it's like somewhere outside and it's like, yeah. Nice. Stoked about it. Venue. We're going to yeah. get a, you know, cool hotel room and uh, you know, live, live, live large for a night. And uh, you know, I'm going to roll like kid style. Andrew, what is up with you, my friends? Oh, mercy. Uh, oh, what's up with me? Or I'll tell you, what's what that? good, what, what good things are up with you? <laughs> what's, what's, well, I, uh, gave up the first quarter and a half of the bears game to watch an hour of star Wars with my little boy yesterday. Nice. And that uh, was a good, that was a good trade. It was a good call. It was a good call. It's a great call. Uh, 
you know, he was playing a game the entire time, but you know, it's still kind of, that's, that's what you do. Sure. Um, but yeah, so that's my little parent victory for, uh, uh, for the last two days, I guess, I guess, you know, and, uh, today I took them both my kids to, uh, my boy's soccer game. Nice. So, uh, I've grown to love spending time with my kids. Cause it's one of my few joys right now. And, uh, um, so it's really cool when I get a chance to, right. uh, other than that, without my kids, uh, I happen to have watched, uh, the Lee scratch Perry documentary, uh, upsetter. Um, which was on YouTube, uh, full length movie. And, um, I don't know any of you guys heard of that or. I haven't, I didn't even know it existed. I mean, I know, I know the name, the upsetter. Cause that's like, uh, you know, but I didn't know that there, I mean, I absolutely would have squeezed that into this week. If <laughs> yeah, I it's a it 90 minute long documentary actually. And, uh, oh, man. I might watch it tonight. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty damn good. It really gives you a good idea of who he was as uh, an individual and uh, and kind of plays down the larger-than-life type of uh, personality that I think he had. Uh, mm-hmm. um, probably because, you know, he's a righteous Zionist and, uh, yeah. you know, being... Uh, well, we'll get all into the black arc and all that kind of stuff later. But, you know, who is Lee Scratch Perry? I mean, he, he was, first of all, he's a record producer. Uh, he was uh, absolutely key to uh, certain parts of record producing that you and I and everyone else uh, find fundamental. Uh, in, current, in current in like all genres of music, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, like he invented the sample. Uh, okay. he, uh, he was the he first taught- to use recording, uh, mixing board, uh, to, you know, make the engineer a part of the creative element. Okay. Right on. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll get, we'll get into all that as far as who he was. I mean, really he was, to me, he was kind of the Brian Eno of, uh, of that's, reggae that's interesting and obviously this is it's a good decades or a, at least mm-hmm. a decade before brian eno was even a thought as like a producer and engineer. oh yeah yeah and, and not in you know in jamaica which i don't think lee scratch had quite the resources that eno did not at all fingertips you know not at all uh no. Um, <laughs> matter, I mean, matter of fact, when he started, he was just like a janitor in, in a record studio. And, uh, uh, and he just started writing songs for, for the performers. And wow. he says he wrote like over 30 songs, you know, that just went uncredited completely, uh, wow. uh, on for other performers. And I guess at some point, uh, well, he and he was also a performer at the studio. Um, so he was, he was kind of two things, a writer, performer, and producer, because um, uh, he, he was producing his own tracks. And then, uh, and when I say he was kind of the, he made reggae, uh, is he kind of took that dance room reggae type style that Bob Marley started in. Like that dance hall kind of like, I no, I get you, go ahead. Right, and, right. And he sped he, it up a little bit to make the reggae sound um that done most power you know any you know did the song in uh like 1968 which was uh uh called people funny boy that uh featured a sample of a crying baby I think he sold 60,000 albums in Jamaica alone. I mean, wow. who could really think that 60,000 people could buy an album in Jamaica at the time? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, 
but so it had this crying baby on it and everyone thought that was just novel as hell. And, uh, but you know, it was really the, uh, first example of identify identifiable as reggae. And, uh, yeah, there was a beat involved with that song. I think that was like really just like kind of driving and consistently mm -hmm. like chugging that like downbeat chug kind of, uh, thing that, you know, worked. In in what what about his what about his work with with um, Bob? Oh, well, we're coming up to that for sure. Okay, and, I don't mean to jump. Oh no, not at all, not at all. Feel free, you know. Uh, but and I actually like you know. So in 1970, uh, you know, and I don't mean to keep throwing dates at you, but you know, Perry and Bob Marley like actually met up. You know, that's when they you know first got together but like bob marley wasn't like a reggae star at that point at all sure. matter of fact he needed a new sound um you know his his band was kind of stuck in this i mean they hadn't found the reggae at all and uh so like you know so lee perry found him scratch perry and uh in produced a few a few of uh bob marley's earliest hits and uh um you know, and he used to say that, like, you know, he was the prophet and Bob Marley was the king. Okay. Meaning, like, he kind of gave, you know, the prophet gives the king the gospel and the king sure. gives it to the people. And uh, detail these, like, highly uh, kind of spiritual uh uh, and I should, you know, note that, you know, all of this is surrounded like just a huge era of, uh, Rossism and, uh, Zionism and, you know, it's cloaked in, well, in spirituality. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned, um, you mentioned this time, you mentioned these songs. Like when I, when I think of these kind of OG Bob Marley songs, right. These are sure. the ones that he sold, Right. Was that not a thing? Uh, in these? 73, he eventually, he sold right? them yeah. to uh, an English distributor. So the songs that strike me on that, that he did with him, like Duppy Conqueror, yep. Small Axe, Kaya. Um, Which is fantastic. Right? Lively Up Yourself and Trenchtown Rock. Like those are some of his best <laughs> pieces of work, you know? Um yeah. One good thing about music when it hits you. Oh, oh, I say one good thing about music when it hits you. Hit me with music. Hit me with music. This is Trenchard Rock. Don't watch that. Trenchard Rock. Big fish or sprat. Trenchard Rock. You reap what you they got cleaned up by the time we heard them um, sure. as college kids on Legend, <laughs> right? right? right. <laughs> but, oh my God, those are the songs, right? Like, and Lee's fingerprints are all over these things. You could totally hear them. It's such a, it's such a cool kind of, I don't know, island sound. Um, right. It's very. It's pure um, and, and almost pure. like lo-fi or maybe it is lo-fi, but it's got like it in, and to, to go back to these tunes that Kevin was talking about lively up yourself is I think my favorite Bob Marley tune. And I didn't, I didn't have any idea that Lee scratch Perry had anything to do with it. And it just, just to throw out my favorite version on that, that live at the Roxy is God, Damn, is that good? I don't know what year it is, but it's commercial release. Live the Roxy, Bob Marley's kick ass. But anyway, oh, I've never heard it. Um, it's awesome. I'll say you it. said live the Roxy, and I got confused. Kaya is my daughter is my ten year old's favorite. That's Bob actually Marley's. my favorite Bob nice. Marley album, and I love it so much. We almost named her. I tried to get our dog named Kaya, but uh, she was it's already named. Otherwise, we were like that. That would be her name, and uh, our kids still don't have no idea. <laughs> what that means but but yeah it uh i love that song so much yeah it's he, yeah it's yeah, just so, so cool to know that that lee that lee was kind of a guiding force for bob for early bob marley yeah. for like early. shaped his sound yeah. you know well, creating it right yeah and throughout his life even after like yeah it wasn't 
it wasn't just during this time either, right? He was kind of a spiritual guide on some level. Well, he, uh, you mentioned the selling of the, of, uh, the catalog, mm-hmm. which, which Lee Scratch Perry un, uh, <laughs> unauthorized sold the catalog <laughs> to uh, an English distributor. But in his, def- yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I'll defend him. <laughs> I'll defend him right now. I mean, in his defense, he became an international superstar. Bob Marley did in the process. Because, because Lee Scratch had sold those. The yeah, now he was, now he was all the shit in England and then it just yeah. went toppled from there. Um, and it may have paid some, some, some bill, you know, like, there was a lot of uh, getting bit into like the black arc years. There was uh, mm-hmm. there were a lot of mobster like Jamaica early seventies was not like the, it was it's a like very a, wild a, West situation. Yeah. It's and there were a lot of guys <laughs> realizing that like, Oh, this dude who that, who has this, uh, you know, this setup in his backyard. is So, so what is we the black arc? Chad? So the, the black arc was a, his music studio really that he, he kind of started and created uh 73 ish, like in his backyard, real, real pedestrian, minimal, you know, fancy, fancy kind of production quality. Like he was, this is in Jamaica folks. I mean, this thing was a shack. He's yeah. He's, he's literally working in a shack and putting together, kind of cobbling together, you know, a makeshift studio out of it and, you know, having all these people, um, you know, especially, you know, yeah. And like, you know, the upsetters were stand, did they bounce before that? But like, they were sort of his standing band in the early seventies where like, you know, he'd have an idea, they were playing, they'd throw in. And then he was working with Marley, Junior Mervin, Heptones, Congos, uh, the Congos. Yeah. Like, I mean, tons of, I mean, stuff that like is really worth listening to now and just like sure. a real, like very, very specific moment in time for, for, for his music. And he and was that. prolific as hell in his studio. Yeah. Uh, and the black art himself. I mean, he was producing tons of his own music and working with these other artists. Right. So he's just kicking out, uh, recordings and yeah the, you yeah know, there's like super, the output there's, this, prolific, there's like the right? yeah there's yeah. massive like the ape all of the ape productions are coming out of the out of the black arc and yeah like there's just there's a ton of music there that's happening and you know it's a it's a spot i, th- I, th- right. I feel like it's a spot in jamaica that's happening right now you know like in that time it's a real like hey asbury ashbury like grateful dead sort of scene like there's music popping they're and, legitimately, they're legitimately and he's working creating, with people, creating a genre in that pocket of the world. Yeah. People are excited about music, like about the music that's happening right there. And it's popping. And in that back to the point about the, the uh, catalog being sold, there were a lot of like CD undergrounders that were realizing that there was, you know, probably money to be made. And real realistically that money had not been made yet, probably. Sure. <laughs> you know, like these guys are mm-hmm. not funding what they're doing out of like, you know, immediately out of what they're producing in that, you know, backyard in that arc. And uh, so I think he probably was put on the spot by a couple of bad dudes that needed, you know, that want demanded some cash and he needed to make something happen. Sure. And in the, in the process made Bob Marley a, fucking superstar superstar right. which is which and so then does that carry to like clapton or doing i shot the sheriff and stuff like that i mean yeah that, the whole route, i mean like that would have that would have tumbled into clapton doing that the uh the uh, logical uh the reggae invasion like first hit america with the harder they come the movie that was like in 1971 or something like that. Okay. Um, that was Jimmy, a uh, movie starring Jimmy, Jimmy Cliff. Jimmy Cliff. It's, oh my God. it's really an awesome movie. I yeah. wrote several papers about it in college. Never 
but Bob Marley came, I think, like in 1973 and uh, had this kind of legendary tour across America where Jerry Garcia followed him, among other people, mm-hmm. uh, kind of recording him, following him. And uh, so, you know, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, his versions of his songs were Americanized by Eric Clapton or Englishized. I don't know if what you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. But, uh, um you know, he was infecting all genres of music at that point. And people uh, totally outside the reggae genre were seeking Lee Scratch Perry for. Uh, yeah, people figured it out pretty quick. He was a like, sought out producer. He had a thing that they could glean off of for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, and what was yeah. that? What was that movie that kind of broke it in the United States. Uh, the harder they come. Got it. Got it. Okay. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's starring Jimmy Cliff, but the soundtrack is phenomenal and, uh, uh, features all types of, you know, kind of Titans of the scene at the moment. Sure. Um, two to uh, the Maytals. Yeah. Two to the Maytals. I love that. Another- COVID shout out. Cheers to yes. no Miss doubt. you, brother. Like every song on that album is covered by a jam band at one point in time or another. That's <laughs> right a on. testament to the I got to see two to the non-creativity like, of jam bands. And every time it was fantastic. I, and, and even his, la- his last one, he was like so old and just had this crew on stage and he was wearing a tracksuit and just giving it like pouring out everything he had for the audience. Yeah. Toots, 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 oh, the Maytels, which was on the uh, Harder They Come uh, right. yeah. album. Yes. But yeah, he also mm-hmm. passed from COVID re- not too long ago. And I believe we gave him a shout out back in the day. We, did. we didn't, we, we did. didn't give him a feature. So I'm just jumping in with, with that, but back to Lee. Cause super important <laughs> yeah yeah so in any case that's kind of how reggae you know kind of seeped into america um obviously 73 kind of being a breaking year for um you know that's when he started studio that's actually also when he separated from bob marley the first time and uh 73 was when they when they parted ways yeah yeah and, uh, you know, so, you know, Lee Perry's got his own shit going. And then he created a whole genre of music and it kind of stemmed from the earlier days of reggae and, uh, but uh, dub music, um, which are versions of otherwise popular tracks that uh, were handed out to different sound systems, which were different, you know, kind of, places or clubs and uh they could be made unique uh i mean it's like a remix uh it's a remix where usually the vocals were dropped out the bass and the drums were heavy and the mc could rap over it um, okay you know and, and the and these versions came out on one of a kind like acetates that went to a separate club so like you know so these are every all- club would have their own variation or their own yeah. remix of yeah. a tune that's yeah. fucking cool as shit dude right and so he was the first one to make an album it's, so that's dub music and uh, okay. he, he was the first one to release a full album of dub music um, which required all, all the trimmings of the genre uh, you know kind of sound effects the heavy echo and reverb if you can imagine it sure. and uh, you know one of the like classic landmark dub songs that people look at as black blackboard jungle dub
which is very influential in the whole dub scene. There's even, you know, dub is still like uh, uh, paid homage to and homage to uh, by modern bands, even like, you know, anything from alternative to whatever bands who um, sure. sublime, or I guess I'll throw that out there. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's um, a great, that's a great reference. I actually just listened to that and was like, Oh yeah, there's like so much, so much and like inspiration, like yeah, during and, this. In, in, uh, even today, I believe in, in London, there's like still a dub scene. I was, it wasn't it giant in over. In well, I mean, EDM really took over like the dub, like the dub scene and like just expanded on his creation, like through so the, the nine, through the eighties and nineties and stuff yeah, like dub that's all, all drums and bass. And that's where EDM went, you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's the repetitive, it's that like crazy repetitive nature of it. And like, I think Lee, what he does the most is slow things down. And there's this very, very like paced way that things happen in in a lot of that music. And like, as EDM comes along and kind of like creates and learns off of that, they speed it up and like cater it to the drugs of the day. Really is what's happening. And they're, they're, they're just speeding up the, the beat a lot of the time. Uh, no, not so oh, much. I, I catered no, to the drugs I, of the day. I'm not quite sure about that. You, you would be, you would know. Oh, I think, oh, oh I just think, I just think I wouldn't know. I'm not very into the EDM scene. All right. Thing, I so. would, oh, I'm just no, saying, I'm just saying like they, yeah, as, as the age goes, goes on and like they, you know, more, there, there are more, there are more variations of that dub. Like now there's like the crazy, there's like the dub step. Which right. is like these like gigantic like huge builds up build ups into these like big drops of kind of speedy like experiential music like cascades yeah, like, like wait for the drop so they, yeah, yeah like so they take this thing that's really like subtle like he has this really slut, subtle slow paced thing with the upsetters that he's doing like on uh, on Blackboard Jungle. And then like it create turns into this like kind of intense thing over years. Like if you listen to a dubstep song now, like I can't pluck one out of the air, I guess at the moment, but like, you know, you have these huge, like slow builds and then these huge drops. Like, I mean, you could also relate it to fish or yeah. Grateful sure. Dead. Like, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of tension and release. And like, I think that's a thing that Lee was really starting to start with, you know, like he was creating that little, it was just subtle. So like, so for five years, the, the black arc, otherwise known as the Ark of the covenant, his recording studio was just thriving place. Right. Uh, he, it was a, a kind of a, open door market for people to come and make music to smoke ganja to drink rum to drink wine to drink beer to uh partake in all the sacraments of i guess zionism uh i don't know he talks a lot about jesus so i don't know if jesus is involved in zionism or not but uh um which was all good until a certain point when uh i guess you know we're as kind of lay Americans, you know, we're kind of, we think that all Jamaicans are Rastafarians, but that's not really true. Um, the Rastafarians were, uh, could be kind of a militant group and also, uh, uh, I guess quite nasty to deal with. Cause as, 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 uh, Lee scratch says, uh, the place became kind of infested with, with Rastas and, uh, and evil spirits and they weren't righteous and uh they uh um partaking in babylon and you know we're out for the gratification and uh uh and really what was happening was uh lee was supporting all these people uh you know monetarily one way or the other and uh and uh he basically told them all to go the fuck away and uh they didn't and uh and he burned his studio to the ground 
Right. <laughs> didn't, 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 didn't some of that involve quite a bit of LSD? Didn't he have a fondness for that? But uh, then the, with, I like, don't know. Yeah, yeah, I've I actually never I, heard I, a lot about LSD. I thought I, I, I thought I read that, and he would like kind of admonish it publicly, but he would constantly trip. Well, that wouldn't surprise me. At I mean, all. it would. Yeah, it would, certainly wouldn't surprise can me. I, Kevin, can I draw the, the parallel between what Lee Perry did to his studio and what Trey did <laughs> to his band? Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap! Right, right. Like all these hangers on. Yeah. I like, can't take it we're anymore. We're going to bounce now. Well, I mean, in 1974, the dead wow. announced their retirement just I was to get just people to say go seven, away. 74 was a, right? yeah. was a very similar act. Too, too. many yeah. fucking people hanging out. You know, too many people thought they belonged there. Too many people yeah. they were supporting. Too many people, you know. The moment of the day in 74. Yeah. I mean, music much. was peaking in, in a way. And, uh, yeah, so Lee Scratch burned his own damn studio down and uh, saying that's the only way to get rid of spirits and uh, dark spirits is through fire. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that guy lived intensely and he, uh, he, he felt intensely, right? right? It, it should go with knowing, like, in 1976, like, he and Bob Marley reunited and uh, um did the song uh, Punky Reggae Party, which I absolutely fucking adore. I didn't know that was a Scratch Perry <laughs> song, but uh, it's just so slinky and so cool and so like kind of the new face of reggae. So yeah, he and Bob got back together and, uh, you know, to continue the Bob saga, uh, they did make some more songs, you know, on natural mystic and, and, uh, uh, actually the song natural mystic. And, uh, but in the end, uh, they asked him, I mean, I in this movie, the upsetter, I saw it like in the eighties, he was asked, what, what about Bob Marley? Because in the eighties he had, he had gotten rid of any, everyone around him. And, uh, he said, uh, Bob was lucky that God took him cause he was surrounded by parasites and vultures. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, um, I guess that's the final word on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I will, you know, and he mentioned, you know, he was surrounded by drugs and, and, uh, it seems like Lee Scratch could take drugs up to a certain extent, but, uh, when it bordered on non-functionality or something, I don't know. Um, I will well, eventually called the line, right? He like, he quit doing everything at a certain point. Eventually like, long, long time. Post after, arc. Yeah. Like 1990. Um, oh. uh, but like, um, so, you know, so he burned down the ark. Of course, that's not exactly what you call like a, uh, of sane mind. No. <laughs> doesn't uh, excel your career generally. Right. Well, it, it would have been fine, except for the fact that he like, uh, absolutely pushed everyone out of his life. Actually, pretty much everyone who was taking money from him. Uh, he was sick of being the sycophant or not the sycophant, but like, you know, just the provider. And, uh, um, you know, so he actually didn't do music for like 10 years. Uh, he, he moved to London, got severely depressed and, uh, did some painting, but not much anymore. Uh, wow. pa painting is something he did, he did, did prolifically at some points of his life and so, same with dancing. And, uh, um, so, I mean, you know, he, he didn't really produce much in those years. Um, but, uh, there was a band in, uh, 
in uh, the 90s. Well, I should say he met his the love of his life uh, in a record store in London. Uh, she was uh, from Switzerland, and that's where he moved eventually. And uh, in Jed, that's when he uh, decided he was strong enough to quit all substance or wanted to see. Uh, uh, yeah, to see if like if the music inside of him was like from the drugs or from him inside, right? Like, right, right, sort of the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, and through the help of his wife was able to stop and, uh, um, and he kind of became reborn again, uh, performing on stage, reborn as a performing artist, mostly, uh, performing on stage and, uh, kind of doing his Zionist rap thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, and this was like into like the, yeah, this was like into the nineties, right? Like this is starting yeah. to like, this it's is starting in the nineties and then and it got create- a big knot. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jed. Oh, I was going to say that this is like a moment in the world when like kind of hip hop was starting to oh, yeah. be created, it, it you, you know, that. like yeah. that early, that like mid eighties to nine, like early nineties is like kind of the, the moment of hip hop and people are having kind of experiences with his music, you know, with right. People are listening and figuring out the beats and working them in. And like Jamaicans brought that music to New York. Yeah. And they're, they're, I mean, they're taking, they're not necessarily, I don't want to say taking, but like they're creating something out of what they're listening to, you know, they're, they're expanding on his music for sure. And uh, yeah, he definitely gets a big nod in, I assume you're going to say 98. Is that uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets a big nod in '98, which presents him to a whole new audience, and that is uh, the Beastie Boys. Um, did a track with them on their uh, on Hello Nasty, and uh, kind of brought him to a new audience, a wider global audience. And that track is called Doctor Lee PhD. Jungle, jungle. Merlin Production Company Blackhawk International Branch Present Half in going around Have you seen Mr. Brown? Half in going around And uh he does the vocals on it and uh i guess you know if you get a nod on a beastie boys album restart your it's career a little respect. A yeah yeah let's I, not let's, yeah i was just gonna say let's not leave out he he you know who else he collaborated with previous to that and expanded his audience somewhere else for was the, did he collaborate one? with the clash yes oh, uh, it is hard to keep up. <laughs> Police and Thieves right. was uh, a song that he originally produced that uh, The Clash did on their first album, and, and they wanted him to produce that album. Police and Thieves in the street Oh yeah Scaring the nation with Guns and ammunition Police and Thieves in the street Uh, wow. According to Lee Scratch, they did too many drugs. Uh, <laughs> like they really were serious about learning the reggae, but uh, according to Lee Scratch, they could not control the reggae because of the, the heroin. And the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The beat, the beat was not. And, you know, in, the mo- in the movie, it shows, it shows like uh, the clash performing one of his songs on stage and they're like, they're just absolutely frantic. And yeah, I don't think that's what Lee Scratch had in mind, probably. <laughs> uh, so The Clash is one of them. You're right, Rob. And uh, uh, Bad Brains is a big purveyor of no that dub shit. style. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I Love a Jaw is an incredible song uh, by Bad Brains that exhibits uh, kind of that dub style. 
so so jump back to obviously he worked with the Beastie Boys in the nineties and then got introduced or reintroduced to a to a larger audience and mm-hmm. he toured. Uh he went on to tour. Uh uh like I said, he would kind of get on there and do his kind of reggae dub. He got a he got a Grammy in ninety-three. Oh, and then continues to, yeah, like he works with a ton of artists and he did a tour in, I think, 96, 99. Like, I remember him multiples. doing a song with Keith Richard. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was all over the place because there yeah. was George Clinton, Keith Richard. There was... Uh, but but just just one song because Keith Richards did too many drugs for Lee Scratch. I think it was just <laughs> exactly. that one. Yeah, they probably had a contest <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> I mean that that I bet Keith Richards and Lee Scratch partied plenty. No, that, yeah, he, well, he also for like the day parties and it creates one song. He also worked with Andrew WK, who what? Yeah, my sister in law met him. He like. She did an interview with him at her record store in Naperville randomly. Wow. Wow. But yeah, seemed to be a very hearty, happy fellow. Oh, that guy parties his freaking ass <laughs> off. I think he's got no qualms about talking about it either. Yeah. I think he's like he's like Dean Ween, where he's like, I'm a fucking <laughs> yes. rock star. There has I, been right. a life, a lifetime of doings. Mickey's cleaned up, by the way. Yeah. Both of them are. The weens are clean. Are they really? Yeah. Good for them. The music's Whoa, maybe not as good, but <laughs> they're clean, which is great. It's probably them. better, actually, the music. Believe it You or think not. so? I mean, let's put it this way. If it means, if them being clean means that they're actually still a band and will play once, or, uh, once a, a year, once every two years, I'll take it. Yes. Versus Agreed. them crashing and burning um and right. their family's not getting them either very so, very yeah. much true good agreed point. yeah good point yeah <laughs> all me. right let's get back on track where are we here the dean ween family hour <laughs> right <laughs> we jumped into the dean ween family hour but we're what we're in the mid we're in the there's mid. parallels well, between yeah. lee perry and ween if you think about it oh sure. definitely right Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Like, I, and i would say ween would be the first people to tell you they that they could find some inspiration in lee scratch perry oh sure. for sure right that's yeah a, that's the kind of reach that that, that legend has absolutely. absolutely right on right on yeah, yeah. well we've we've covered a lot of uh kind of his career in a uh yeah, it's really it's it's broad. It's hard to it's broad. It overlaps. It's uh, I mean, you know what? What you gotta realize is this guy was forming the sound of reggae, and not only reggae. That's the whole thing. Is it it extended beyond reggae, and you know into Eric Clapton performing "I Shot the Sheriff" on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, you know it. it you know, and, and obviously so many bands still pay tribute to Dub and, and you know, it's, you know, all over these Bob Marley songs that, you know, are, as Kevin mentioned, you know, are on Legend that, you know, it, we all loved in jukeboxes <laughs> in college. <laughs> yes. And uh, a rite of passage, right? And, and, even people, more important, yeah. and even more importantly, how many times have people sampled something? I didn't realize he was the pioneer of samples, but yeah. I mean, that is, that is what literally the pioneer. He, he is the guy who introduced, uh, I should have mentioned this at the Black Ark, his studio. Uh, he is the one who uh, introduced uh, the mixing board. So then, as an engineer, he could add artistic influence to the track. I mean, actual like noises and stuff like that. Sure. And, sure. and, uh, at the time it was probably all done through splicing and, and, you know, very, you know, mechanical methods of doing it where nowadays it's all digital and easy. And, uh, but the digital and easy is done to re- recreate what he did in the studio. Sure. Uh, so, um, you know, digital and easy wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Lee Scratch is what yeah. you're saying. You know, in, in, 
you know, in the sampling, like I said, you know, traveled through Jamaicans to New York City and, you know, through the projects in New York City, all of a sudden here comes rap, hip hop, -hop, which is, you know, kind of similar to the dub music where someone's talking over an instrumental track. Right. Um, So the guy, the guy was just, you know, all over the place, you know, you know, I, I first heard him when, uh, uh, Jed played me a sound, uh, a playlist like uh we were going over to a friend's house one night and i was like oh, who the hell is this yes. he's scratch perry that and, was ba- uh, that, yeah that was based on uh, you you go ahead jump jump back oh in. i don't know he, he's just like lee scratch perry and i was like oh, i have no idea who the fuck this is <laughs> and uh turns out i knew a lot about him and i didn't even know <laughs> yeah. it yeah by the end of that you were like oh man yeah like <laughs> it was like one of those like because I like dub. That was a great like, drive. Yeah. Yeah. That I like, uh, uh, like Kaya is one of my, you know, that's my favorite Bob Marley album. And I, I like, you know, I like the heavy drums and bass and, you know, kind of lilting lyrics of reggae and, uh, um, over the top of it. And, uh, uh, so yeah, it hit me like a, and that, I, I, I'll I'll jump in because I I know exactly where that was from and it was a there was a album called Arcology that yeah. was very very like I there could not have been a lot of these produced but it was like ninety seven it felt like a very like bootleggy kind of thing <laughs> I bought it I bought it at Rolling yeah. Stone I bought oh, it at Rolling nice. Stone when I was maybe like twenty so like that's you know over two decades ago and uh yeah it felt like a like a bob dylan bootlegs kind of a situation where it was like it was produced legally but they probably only did you know a couple thousand copies of it or something right but if you want to know what like black ark was all about yeah this is this is the album and i i sourced that because i had learned from a guy that i worked for like had like the giant like rolodex of you know burned cds Oh, of, of like the world of reggae. So he was like, here's everything you ever need to know. And he handed wow. it to me. And like, of all this, I still have a bunch of those burned CDs, but I went back and like searched for this one as like the hard copy. Cause I oh, knew shit. that those bad CDs were going to burn out someday. Right. And this was like the soul of all of it. And like it to this day, it's like if my house caught on fire and I was like, one CD I could grab of the couple hundred I have left. This would be the that one would be grab. the one hundred percent. Wow! Wow! What is this again? Arcology. The arc- the, arcology. The, the bootleg thing. It's called Lee Scratch Perry Arcology. Wow. A R K ology. And there are a couple. There we, we should throw some up. Well, there there are a couple like. It, it's not produced fully for Spotify, but there are a couple like playlists that have kind of recreated it so okay. we can, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll link to some of them but yeah it's it's just a it's a great like kind of personification of what those years were all about right really great Got it. right right for sure check that sorry. out no doubt <laughs> uh oh, don't be sorry check that out uh lee scratch perry arcology uh believe you can find it on apple and spotify um well, I don't know. This might be about uh, the depths of my Lee Scratch Perry knowledge. Well, uh, can I? Uh, yeah. yeah can, what do you well, have to I, add? Well, I I kind of want to kind of talk about maybe where this took me musically and okay. kind of the next steps and um, maybe yeah, bring Rob here. into this discussion because I turned him on to something today that he didn't know existed and I've been listening to for Jeez, oh. I can't even believe I've been listening to this for 18 years, but it's basically an album called Dub Side of the Moon by the Easy Star All Stars. Um, it's like a have either uh, of you guys heard of this? new music? I I did. No, I think I, I did. Have, I don't. So know I and and I don't. I'm not. Try, I don't want to cut you off. And maybe do you miss? No, please go expand, for it. Please, yeah, while I search for it. for it frantically. But I had I had had some had several people tell me about this, but never really gave it a shot. And Kevin sent it to me. And I, like, I 
somebody tell me and then I kind of, it would slip my mind or whatever. And then Kevin mentioned it today and I was like, all right, I got to fucking put this on. Go ahead, Kevin. This record is fucking incredible. <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. So, I mean, it's okay. So basically it's a reggae band doing dark side of the moon better than dark side of the moon. Dude. It's so in- <laughs> I don't it's know how not- else to say it, man. Like it's, um, it, and it's- I hear the groan in Andrew's voice, but what uh, right. the thing I, here's the thing that it accomplishes that you cannot, it's undeniable when you listen to it. Because it's done in a dub reggae style, it takes all of the dread out of every Pink Floyd element. psychedelia it's, and it's so psychedelic dude it's like that's you know my how whole problem with Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> it's so psychedelic it's like you know how there's those things like you know tame impala's kind of got some hidden psychedelia in there right or tons of it but but this is just like Oh, here you go. <laughs> I mean, the, I heard it for the first like song and a half. I'm like, oh my God, I got to trip and listen to this. <laughs> I mean, it is awesome. Let's do it. This Let's thing it. has been floating around for, like I said, 18 years. And it's been, it's on my OG iPod. I've got an iPod, you know, like, no way. It, yeah, like it's from 2010. Fun. Yeah. Right. This is on that. I guarantee it. That album uh, we're, came out. We're listening to this tomorrow. This album the, was uh, old then. In the, ba- in the bathroom rebuild. Absolutely. We're laying tile and listening this to this. Thing. You're going to shit. So I want cool you to text. I'm going to tell Johnny to bring some acid. Let's do here's, it. Here's <laughs> what I'm saying. Here's why this album is so good. Okay. It's got a couple of extra tracks. It's got like three or four extra tracks on the end. So if you just loop the album, I, I want to know how many times you'll listen to it before you get sick of it. I'm going to give it like three and a half before you'll be like, holy shit, are we still listening to this? It's that good. Yes. Um, awesome. I mean, I I don't know. I can't speak highly enough of this thing. It's a, it's a hidden gem. Um it's so good. I almost am afraid to listen to the what else this band has done. To be perfectly honest with you, they've and done other what things. Else, tell them what else. They've also done. done OK Computer, and I'm scared to listen to. I it, to I have got to hear it. Ooh, yeah, I mean, right? I, yeah, yeah. It's kind of scary. And dude, it's <laughs> like guys. These guys. It is the most accurate reggae. They hit. They like check all the fucking reggae boxes and then they're playing dark side of the moon and it's psychedelic as fuck, dude. I mean, it's the, the musicianship of it is fucking. It's shocking. good. I don't say that it's, much. It's, it's good. It's well done. Fucking sweet. Yeah. Well done. They did a reunion tour a couple of years ago too. And either, either I want to say it either got canceled by COVID like they were going to come to Chicago, you know, and like play that sometime during 2020 and it got canceled. That might've been it. Or they did in 2019. I'd have to look it up, but if they did and we missed it, that's a damn shame because it would have been fun to see that. I would love to go performance live. I'd have Um, to say though, from your description, like I'm not sure if Lee would really be all about the, 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 What's what's it called? The easy dub step side of the dub, dub, dub side, side of the moon. Yeah. It seems like it would be. It's not quite in his Zionist nature for them to throw down. No, very very trippy, <laughs> psychedelic <laughs> way. Too Babylon, although, although, but maybe although yeah, too, too, ba- too Babylon, too deep Babylon. But like you know, maybe in private because that. Let's put it know, this that was way: the deal, right? Um, yeah, I think the music just kind of flows to these guys. They do a really cool approximation of it. And so in that I'm way, excited to see it in like kind of a reggae style. Yeah. What's your favorite it, song? Uh, in there? 
Um, for me, it's probably the back half, like kind of the brain damage eclipse, which is my favorite part of the actual. There is an element of like, just pick, just literally pick one because you could, I used to drive around with the thing when I was a messenger, I would have it on and you could just keep the disc on in the car and you wouldn't have to change it. It was that good. It was like Beastie Boys good. We talked about that for a minute. Like one of those, you know, like you had a tape deck in your car and you had five tapes and there was one that stayed in there. Fuck, it'd be in there for three weeks sometimes. All the time. And, but it had to be able to fucking loop and it didn't matter where you ended up on it. You were going to get back in. Well, and I love the source material. So it was just another, it was an approximation of that, right? Right. Yeah. It didn't matter where it ended. I'm sorry to cut yeah, you. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. So that's where Lee took me. So even if he didn't approve, he would have to approve <laughs> of the fact that he, he guided me somewhere. There you um, go. Perfect. Journey, you know? Right. Yeah. Anybody else about where that took you? Um, I mean, I was not very, it wasn't very long ago that I was introduced to this whole thing or, or knew anything more than peripheral shit about sure. it. So I can't tell. I, I kind of backed into it. So, Right on. <laughs> so yours are yet to come. Yes. Except Sublime. I mean, yeah. It, like I mean, reverse obviously, wise, reverse wise, I bet you could see. I, I bet you could see the relationship I, there. That, that's what I mean about like I backed into it because, like, like you said, Sublime. There was like I would listen. I'd listen to it and be like, oh, that's where they got this and we mentioned Toots and Maytals <laughs> and obviously Sublime had a fondness for Toots and um, yeah it, I, it's cool to hear that kind of develop from the other direction and I've had that happen to me a couple of times and I can't think of any exact examples of it but it's a wild kind of thing when you hear something that you know influenced something you like yeah and it's like a to that, rewind you know, spiral like, <laughs> yes it's wild <laughs> Yeah, it's like you're winding time for a second. But anyways, so that's my my experience with this and other music. Anyways, awesome, awesome. That Jimmy Cliff album got to listen to again. I I favorite soundtrack. Yeah, that's a classic. The classic, right? It's hard not. That's like you can leave it on all day, and it's a great album. Heck yeah. Yep. Tomorrow we love Ray Day. Check out the movie, man. I am stoked for that. I'll see if it's on any of our streaming platforms, 27,000 channels and nothing's on. Dude, yeah, check out that, up. check out that Bob Marley live, live at the Roxy. It is dope, dude. And that's on Spotify too. Right on. Check out uh, the documentary for Lee Scratch Perry. Up in that too. Center, upsetter. So. All right. All right. So where are we going out on, guys? Like, who who has the call? I'm uh, I'll throw one out. Go Can ahead. We do, uh, oh man. Can we do uh, one step dub with the Upsetters? Let's do it. Let's do it. One step dub by the Upsetters. Thank uh, you guys. Yeah, Thank you guys. This has been uh, the Music Challenge Podcast and a very special retrospective of Lee Scratch Perry's career and who the guy was and why he matters to you uh so take it easy check it out later and uh we'll see you on the next episode of music challenge podcast good night y'all peace bye-bye